we look at God's greatest gift and we'll look at who Christ is and why he came and the gospel message that we should be having in our minds and our hearts at all the time, revering and thinking about so that we share that truth with others. Before we get into that, please pray with me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together to assemble, to remember your Son, to think about his great sacrifice, to think about his words and his teachings and who he claimed to be. The Father, we hold him in our hearts and we think about you and your wonderful power that you have manifested through your Son, Jesus. We thank you that he came into this world and has brought salvation, that he came to be a, a servant and to give himself as a ransom, Father. Father, help us to imitate him and to follow after his example, to show his love to others. Father, help us to uphold our mission as Christians to love you more, to love others, and to make disciples. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we look at the subject of God's gift, God's greatest gift. And you might, might come to my, your mind this time of the year, what gifts that you remember, maybe something from childhood. I remember, I remember actually the gift that was most humbling. I remember that. Maybe you remember that. I don't know. When I was 15, my parents were like, well, you're not going to get those kind of gifts anymore. You're going to get these kind of gifts. And uh, you, you think about those things. I, I think about... I remember the Christmas morning, I woke up and got my bicycle. And uh, that's how I got this scar on my face, if you ever noticed it, uh, from that bicycle. It didn't take me long to get that as well. I remember um, the Christmas, I got my first pocket knife. I still got the scar on my finger, because that night I cut my finger open. And uh, my grandfather took a uh, popsicle stick and he wrapped it up in gauze. It's actually kind of a good memory. And so when I look at that scar, I think about that. So you, you may have a lot of memories, especially connected with this time of the year and the blessings and gifts that you, that you have. But one gift we want to be mindful of every day is what God has given through us through Jesus Christ. We as Christians, we trust Jesus. We trust Him by the way He lives, the integrity, the way that He spoke. We trust Him to tell us about who God is and what God's will is. And we go to the Scriptures and rely on them. We stand on them and we proclaim them and want to tell them to the world. At least we should. That's our mission, is to tell others and to make disciples. I want you to look at this passage here. John chapter 6, verses 38 through 40. This morning, I won't have a central exposition. I know I usually do. And so I'm going to be moving around a little bit. I was hoping I would be able to project it for you. But we're in John chapter 6. Look at these words from Jesus. Now Jesus here, he's fed the 5,000. He has those, a group of Others following after him, asking for him to feed them again. And he's telling them, God has already given you bread from heaven. I am the bread of heaven. So listen to what Jesus says in John 6, 38 through 40. He says, for I have come down from heaven. You hear anybody make those kind of claims? Can anybody else make that kind of claim? I came down from heaven. He says, for I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I was sent for a purpose to do God's will. And he says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Now, a probably better translation, I should lose no one of all of whom he has given me, but raise them up on the last day, to resurrect them on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Captures our hope, captures the preaching of Christ. That we look forward to eternal life that comes by the fact that Christ rose from the dead. 
And he chose to do that. In John chapter 10, verse 17 through 18, Jesus says for that, he says, I will give up my life and I will take it up again. God has given it to, for me to do and I, and I will do it. And Christ did that to bring about victory, to bring about eternal life where on that last day we will resurrect the way that he did. We have assurance of this hope. And as Christians in this time of the year, people are looking for hope. They're struggling. Struggling with a lot of things. A lot of emotional problems. A lot of family issues always come up this time of the year. A lot of different struggles. It might be your bills. Um, this time of the year, um, my HOA just seems to be mean to me. So that's a little thing compared to what a lot of people are doing. They, um, a, a lot of people are struggling. And I relate to that. And I know the feelings of it. And, and I can... I feel empathy toward those, especially whom I'm close to, who I see going through those things. But they're looking for hope, ultimately. Um, I've about given up on social media, but I saw a friend the other day, and a young lady that I just thought, I don't know what to think of, about her and where she's going with her life. And she posted the other day, and she says, there's got to be more to this life. There's got to be a greater purpose. And I love seeing that from her and her thinking about that there is more than, you know, just living for yourself and living for your own desires and your own wants. And as she, I see her reflecting on it, I pray for her because I, I got to baptize her. And I also get, I've gotten to see where she's drifted away from God. And I pray for her and I think about those like that who have gone astray. And so this time of the year, it's a good reminder of people that there's an ultimate hope there's an end to all this. There's a purpose for life and what you're living for. What is it? Why were you, why are you here? Why were you made? Why were you created? And God gives you that. And we see it in Jesus Christ. I, I wonder as well, how can anyone bear with the losses in this life without hope? You, you think about that. You think about those who have no framework or never think about God and never speak of Him, and when some kind of catastrophe comes into their life, what do they do with it and how do they handle it? You know, I know imagining how to handle it, it would be devastating. For many people it is. It even brings them to the point of not wanting to live anymore. We have a message that's something that we can't keep to ourselves. The message of hope that is in Christ. While people are looking for it, we need to be giving it to them. Sharing our faith. Yes, I believe in God and I trust in Him. And I believe Jesus and I trust Him and the words that He taught. That they represent and tell me of the hope of eternal life that is in Jesus Christ. This time of the year, a lot of people thinking about that. We, I think, um, don't need to fight against it as much. But to use it to bring others to come to Christ. Now, when we go to our Bibles, you're not going to see a celebration of Jesus' birth at Christmas. In fact, I've done a lot of the research in, in school and talked to my professors. And the people who think Jesus was born in the spring, some think he was born in late summer, some in early fall. The earliest writer, I put it in the bulletin last week, a man named Hippolytus in the second century thought Jesus was born in December on the 25th. He's about the earliest individual, but most early Christians didn't know. And the Bible doesn't teach us exactly to observe that day. But I do thank God for this, that a lot of people are thinking again of God. And I want to use that to share the truth with them. So I want to share a few passages this morning with you that will encourage you in that. And 
There's two of them that come from Isaiah. In fact, there's technically three. If you want to read a third one, I'll give it to you. But if you will, go with me to Isaiah chapter 7. We'll look at Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, and Isaiah 11 uh, very quickly here. Here we have the prophet Isaiah. An amazing prophecy here. And uh, I've heard the skeptics even wrangle over it and how they're going to handle it. And I see why, because it's such a strong prediction. It's what we as Christians stand on. We don't stand on mere wishful thinking. I wish it was true. I want it to be true. We stand on evidence of truth. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the main, the first manuscript that was found was the whole scroll of Isaiah, the Isaiah scroll. And then another scroll was found as well, the second Isaiah scroll. And Isaiah is filled with prophecies of the Messiah. In Isaiah 7 and verse 16, Isaiah 7 and verse 16, the prophet Isaiah says that there's a sign coming in verse 14, and it's going to come when the kings of Israel and of Judah have forsaken them. They have forsaken them. And Jesus comes in that time when there's no real king. Herod is no real king. He's appointed by Rome. He's actually an Edomite. He's not an Israelite. And we read, and we go a little bit further down, and we see there in Isaiah 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. That's amazing. Think about this, to know that these prophecies existed centuries ahead of Christ, and here he comes. And people testify, yes, he's born of a virgin. He is God with us. Go a little bit further, go to Isaiah chapter 9, look at this scripture here. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. Great scriptures to open doors and discussion with others. To bring, to bring up to the minds of those who are looking for God who have drifted away or even fallen away. Isaiah 9, verse 6 through 7, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Talking about that child who would be born. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amazing scripture. But as I think about that, and I think about that, I want that. I want that kingdom. I want to be under that king, under the Son of God, where he will bring justice and righteousness. Because I look today, and I, even in, here in the United States, blessed with the freedoms that we have, I wonder, where is the justice? Where is the righteousness? I look forward to those things, and I wish our country would repent and go back to God. How, how, how will that change happen? How will a group of people, a nation of people, change? Well, it's going to take Christians. It's going to take believers, those who, who believe that God has made us in His likeness and has given us that inherent value and that due respect that we owe to one another because we're made in God's likeness. That we need to be proclaiming that and sharing that again. That has to be a foundation of a godly nation and people. And we've lost that. The United States has lost that. And as the church, we need to proclaim it. You want to read a little bit further? Go over to Isaiah 11 and look at verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. I'm not going to read that for you. I'm going to leave that with you there. But again, you see the branch. The king who's coming and the Holy Spirit will rest upon him. Who is Isaiah speaking of? I have no doubt. There's been centuries of time and only one man has ever come and only one man will be able to fulfill and complete these prophecies. 
The Christians, as Christians, we stand on centuries-old prophecies of the coming king, who is God. I love reading Isaiah. Isaiah is my favorite book of the Old Testament, besides Genesis. I switch back and forth. I like Genesis, Isaiah, but Isaiah is it's amazing. It causes me to stand in awe of my Creator. It helps me to worship Him and to draw closer to Him and to commune with Him. And I think about that. One of my favorite passages to, to hear read any time of the year is in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and following. And this is the night in which Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and there's shepherds in the field. Let's read and look here what happens. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and following. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. That would be too. I like to picture that. I like it this time of the year when the nights are longer. In Thomasville, we're blessed to be able to get a good view of the stars. And I wonder about what that would be like to see an angel to come. Keep reading here, verses 10 through 12. The angel said to them, fear not. Fear not. They were fearing. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. Does that sound familiar? This will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And as I read this, I stand in awe. I think about that. And the most amazing thing happens in verses 13 through 15 that I would have loved to have been there to see. Look at this, 13 through 15. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, or peace among all men. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, What would you say? Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I hope this morning as we think about this that um, I don't want us as Christians to lose that awe, that wonder of who our Creator is. To stop wanting to know who Jesus is. To think we should take a day when we don't do that or when we don't want to live out our faith or share the truth with others. And the passages I wanted to share with you this morning is so that we as believers, we see the glory of Christ. We see the glory of Christ that the world does not see. Those who are living in sin and rebellion and even sometimes hatred against God, they don't want to talk about Jesus. I've heard a number of people blaspheme Jesus and make fun of him. I've heard people do the same toward God and, and the Father. I guess I can get infuriated, but most of the time now I think that they're simply agnostic. They're ignorant. They're foolish. They're lost. I feel compassion for them. I want them to know the truth. I want them to see Christ the way that I see him because they evidently don't. I want them to see God the way that I do, stand in awe of Him, 
and feel that I need to worship Him every day. It's worth giving my life as a living sacrifice for Christ. Jesus tells us why He came. And He says it repeatedly throughout the Scriptures. And I want to share a brief list with you right now. In Luke chapter 5, verses 31 to 32, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to look at that. Luke chapter 5, 31 to 32. Christ says He came to call not the righteous, but sinners. Don't you want the righteous following you, Jesus? He says, I came to call the sinners. Paul says, you remember, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I am the foremost of sinners. And we have to recognize that, that I've sinned and I've done wrong, and I need the mercy of my Creator. And Jesus came to save me. I cannot be self-righteous and come to Christ. I have to humble myself and say that I need forgiveness. And so I need Jesus. I need His death and I need His blood to wash away my sins. Jesus also says in John chapter 9, verse 39, and John 12, verse 46, that He came that those who believe in Him shall see the light of the truth. We're able to understand and perceive because of the light of Christ. He changes the way that we perceive the world and understand what reality is. We see ultimate purpose. We see a need of a Savior. We see the purpose of God and how much He can change the world around us. We see that everlasting life that Christ has promised to us. We see the love of Jesus through His forgiveness for us. So He came for us to see the light of truth. John 9 and verse 39. Christ came to bring, and this is the interesting thing, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, He came to bring fire. Remember reading that? And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And He goes on to explain that there will be divisions between us and what we believe and those who may reject us. Jesus said a prophet's not accepted in his own hometown. And many times you ever felt that way, not being accepted by your close friends or even family? That there's a divide between you and them because you believe in Christ? In Matthew 10, verses 34 to 39, we see Jesus saying, I cannot bring peace but a sword. Houses will be divided over me. Jesus says, again, he also says, I came to give, to serve, to give myself as a ransom. And this is in the context of disciples talking about who's the greatest among them. And he says, listen, if you want to be the greatest, you must serve. You must humble yourself. And he says, for the Son of Man came to serve and to give himself as a ransom for the many. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark 10 and verse 45. That's why Jesus said he came. Jesus came to save, not to condemn and I think a lot of people in the world today, they, they don't want to come to church. They feel condemned. They feel judged. The very idea of it. But I think in contrast to that, we need to be sharing the message again. Christ didn't come to condemn. In fact, when you read John chapter 3, He says, if you do not believe in the Son, you're already condemned. We're going to look at that in a moment as part of our invitation. Jesus says, I came to save. To save those who are lost. If this is the reason that Jesus came into the world and what people are thinking about this time of the world, why not share it with others? Why not tell them about that? that and, and to realize that we as Christians, we have a part in that mission where Jesus gave the great commission. Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded. Hold on with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. 
What will faithful Christians do with the mission of Christ? I hope that we remain in awe and study in the Scriptures. I want to know who Jesus is. I want to commune with Him and be close to Him. In James chapter 4, James says, If you draw close to God, He will draw near to you. The truth is, is when God feels far away, it's because we moved away, not Him. He's not far where any one of us cannot find Him. Acts chapter 17 26 and 27. Those who do not believe in the Son of God have no hope. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We have a great opportunity, and I'm thinking about it now because I know I'm going to be able to see family. What am I going to do with my time with Him? I'm going to share my faith, and I'm going to ask them about what they're doing, what they believe. And I want to talk to them about the Creator and about the Son of God who loves us. As part of our invitation, I want to share with you John 3.16, but I want to look at the two verses behind it as well. So John 3.16 through 18. John 3.16 through 18. And these are the words of Christ as He's discussing and talking to Nicodemus early in His ministry. And he reveals the gospel. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It's important that we proclaim the truth, we teach the gospel, and I hope in the next year we make that more of a priority. This morning, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, we hope that you do, that you believe and confess your faith, that you repent of your sins and be baptized. Jesus said that he came to call sinners to repentance, to repent, to change, to give our lives to Christ. This morning, if you want to give your life to Christ, to put Him on in baptism, to begin a new life, you can do that, and you have all your sins washed away. You need prayers, you need encouragement. We encourage you to come forward right now. Let's stand and sing together.